0: So I'm thrilled to welcome back Dr. Michelle Jeffries. She is a triple board certified osteopathic physician in dermatology, pediatric dermatology, and integrative medicine. And we talked on podcast number 17 about PCOS and skin issues, uh, specifically acne. So if you're struggling with skin issues and acne, be sure to tune into this episode, uh, to episode 117. But today, we're going to be tackling hair issues in PCOS. So, Dr. Jeffries, thank you so much for coming back on the PCOS Diva podcast.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be back. We got so much to talk about today.
0: Yeah, we sure do. And I know that you see a lot of women in your practice with PCOS, and I think hair issues are one of the most difficult to deal with. I know they were for me. Um, It's... Definitely, like mentally and physically, it's so hard to be losing hair where you want it and growing hair where you don't want it.
1: Oh my goodness! Like I see women that just are at their wit's end with everything, and it's it's so emotional to have something that you know, in a way, um, we see as a, a beauty marker or a feminine marker of who we are and our identity. Um, and so the issues with hair loss go very deep. It's not just with the hair. There's, there's, like you said, very emotional psychological components to it for sure
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and as part of my mission to help women with PCOS regain their sense of femininity you know hair issues are near to dear to my heart um and I know that you women with PCOS are 60 percent more likely to have mood related disorders and I know for me when I was struggling with hair loss it really added to my sense of um depression and isolation, and um, it, it it exacerbated those emotional issues. So it's really my goal to give women in this po- podcast, um, you know, kind of some answers, like why they're experiencing hair loss and what they can do about it.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with you. When you don't feel your best and you don't look your best, um, it's hard to feel good about yourself, um, and it's hard to feel confident and empowered and happy all the time when you just don't feel good and and you just don't feel like you look your best too. So um, I love your mission and what you're doing to help women um, reverse a lot of the PCOS symptoms.
0: Uh, Well, thank you. And and thanks again for being here. So we have, you know, two sides of the coin. So why don't we start with um, hair loss and maybe you can describe like the different types of hair loss, and where does PCOS fit in?
1: Yeah, there actually are a lot of different types of hair loss. So, um, when I see a patient who comes in for hair loss, there's, um, actually a lot of different types that we have to go through, and it all depends on the pattern of the hair loss, how it's looking, what's going on with the scalp. So, um, With women with PCOS, the most common type of hair loss I see is the androgenic alopecia, and that's where there's a lot of thinning on the top of the head or in the temples, sometimes a little bit in the front. It's also known as like the male pattern um, baldness, um, and it can be genetic, um, but most likely more hormonal um, for most of the PCOS patients.
0: Yeah. So, if your like grandmother suffered from hair loss, or your you know your mother, um, I always think that chances are they may have had PCOS and
1: um, it was undiagnosed. And- exactly. Yes, I- that also might be true. So, what's really cool about the hair is, I mean, we do have a ton of hair in our body. We have like five million hair follicles on the whole entire body, um, and a hundred thousand of those are on the scalp and. Lucky for blondes, they have about 20% more hair, and redheads about 20% less. Um, but then when you notice a difference um, in the distribution, meaning where your hair is located and the texture and the you know, thinning of it, um, you definitely feel like you have a lot less hairs on your scalp, um, and it gets very concerning.
0: So I know for me, when I experienced hair loss in my life, it was, um, after a period of physical stress, like childbirth, <laughs> um, yeah. or mental, um, emotional stress. And I know that that is a different type of hair loss. Um, yes,
1: absolutely. There is actually a postpartum, meaning after you deliver baby, um, alopecia, hair loss that happens, um, and then also with extreme stress, um. So what, what we think happens in the body is we kind of, when we're under that stress, our body doesn't know if it's real or made up in our mind. It just, it just decides that everything's real, even though it might just be a psychological stress. Obviously, when you deliver a baby, there's a big physical stress that happens too. And our body goes into that flight, fight, freeze mode where we have to either you know, fight off the stress, um, freeze so it can't hurt us, or run away from it so it can't get us. Um, and that system once those hormones get released to to trigger that system, um, it triggers the muscles to work really well, the heart to work really well, the lungs to work really well. But our hair and our skin, it doesn't care what that's doing. It doesn't care about digesting food. So that's when people that are really stressed, you can lose hair, you can get skin breakouts, um, you can get stomach aches. Um, and I, And I really feel... This is really um, evolutionary and has been um, a benefit to us over time, um, not current in our modern technology in modern times, but in the past, if we actually were chased by something that could hurt us, if we, didn't ha- if we had patches of hair loss or we had a weird rash, um, we wouldn't be as appetizing to whatever predator was trying to hurt us. So, um, But now, we don't need to do that. So Um, But that physiology is still stuck in our system. So that's usually the process that happens with that stress hair loss. And that's called telogen effluvium. And it's a big, huge medical word. Telogen is just one of the main stages of your hair and the process that it goes through. We um, grow our hair for um, a period of time. It rests for a period of time. And it sheds for a period of time. And it's normal to have all three of those cycles And the growing phase can last like we average between two to six years, the resting phase a couple weeks, shedding can last a couple months, but when our body shifts into that fight-flight-freeze mode, that shedding cycle, the amount of hair we lose increases, and it can happen even months after that stress um, happens, and that's when we notice more and more shedding going on, and that's what that effluvia means, this excessive shedding of the hair.
0: Mm. Yeah, I've experienced it like three month, three to four months after um, the event, whatever that might be. Um, you know, I, I will have like an extreme shed and my, my hair will be really thin for a while. But then the, the good news is that for me, it grows back um, as soon as my life gets back, back <laughs> into balance and I'm, I'm better able to manage the, the, the physical and the mental stress. Uh, but I do think that you had mentioned the hormonal um, like androgen-based hair loss um, or the androgenic alopecia. Um, that's different from the telogen effluvium, although you still have sheds. But how, well, maybe you could talk a little bit more about the hormones that come into play for that type of hair loss.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you're exactly right. That telogen effluvium, the hair does come back. So if that's something that you're experiencing in the shedding, like while you're going through the shedding, it can be very um, upsetting. Um, but that is one of the types of hair loss where everything does come back eventually. Um, and it is common, like you said, too, that it can be months after you're stressed. You're like, I'm not stressed anymore. That was like a month ago. Why am I losing my hair now? And that's usually why your body's just just catching up. And then shifting now over to the hormonal part, um, we actually have receptors on our hair follicles and on the oil glands of the hair follicles um, for testosterone and, and the breakdown products of testosterone. So when our, our ovaries or adrenals and you know different parts of our hormonal tissues are um, not in balance and we're making more of maybe some testosterone derivatives, um, what happens to the hair follicle is there's a little hormonal signal that gets received on that hair follicle, and it starts miniaturizing and getting smaller, so as the new hair grows in, it's a little bit smaller, and as it grows in again, it's a little bit smaller, so it's kind of a different type of um, hair loss, where it's getting a signal from the inside, um, and it's kind of shrinking or miniaturizing, is what we call it, um, of the hair, um, and, and that, as that process proceeds, the hair gets smaller and smaller, and then not as much hair grows in that area.
0: Mm. So what can we do about it? I know for for me, and, and I think uh, with everything with PCOS, there is really no one-size-fits-all approach. You kind of have to look at each person individually, and I think it takes a lot of trial and error. But for me, I'm just going to say that going to all natural hair care products um, have really helped. Uh, I really like this Uh, hair care line called Morocco Method. It's kind of like a mud-based shampoo system. And that's really helped me, whether it would help everyone, you know, again, it's like trial and error. Um, But what do you, when you um, have a woman that comes to your office that has this type of um, androgenic alopecia, what do you recommend that she start
1: with? Yeah, there's, a, like you said, there is so much um, to this. And and usually each person comes in and they're at a different stage of their hair loss. Um, and then different things have kind of led there. So we talked about hormones as one of them, but there, you know, there can be other factors of like inflammation. So, you know, in in a lot of PCOS patients, there's a higher, um, you know, level of glucose and hyperinsulinemia and other things going on that kind of gum up the the blood vessels and kind of make things a little bit more sticky. So um, inflammation can be a component too, um, as well as hormones, and then stress, as we talked about, and then also sometimes some micronutrient deficiencies. So kind of piecing together all of those, and then also, you know, talking with with someone about like, where did they want to start? Do they want to start with nutrition, essential oils, shampoo, conditioners, topical things, do they want to start out, you know, have they already done a lot of that and they kind of found their way through that and they want to add in some supplements and need some guidance on that? Um, Do they want some other kind of topical recommendations or even prescriptions or are they looking for something more like um, acupuncture to help and, you know, wanting to know if that would help them or are they at the point where everything's, just so thin, they just want like a hair transplant, and what can they do? So we can definitely kind of dive into each one of those because I think probably some some of the people listening to you might be in different stages um, with all of those options or want to mix and match and combine things.
0: Yeah, that would be great. let's Let's start with um, the nutrient deficiencies that you see.
1: Yeah, so this um, you know when someone comes in for hair loss, um, this is one of the things that if there is something nutrient wise that we can reverse or help with, that's usually a pretty easy fix. It's just finding out what is going on, um, what micronutrient or what what thing is happening. So I do like to do some blood work with that. Um, or sometimes it's a matter of people just admitting they're not eating healthy, and we just kind of walk through that. But the uh, main one that I see is iron deficiency. Um, and so that one is um, a blood test. There's a couple of different things that can be measured on a blood test to check your iron stores and how much iron you have. And, you know, there's, there's probably three or four tests that we ordered just looking at iron. Um, So that's a big one that I see. Um, And then the micronutrients um, that can be associated with hair loss is um, being deficient in zinc, selenium, biotin, silica, vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin C, um, all of those. Um, And so in addition to looking at hormones, maybe for hair loss and blood work, um, we may or may not do some of those tests um, as well. So in some of these tests, you know, they're not covered by insurance. And um, that's always, you know, a mindful thing um, to talk with your physician with is, you know, sometimes the diagnosis of androgenic alopecia, when we put it on a lab slip and we send you off to the lab, um, some of those labs aren't going to be covered by insurance. So walking through that um, also, you know, cost-wise of what we're looking at can be, can be helpful too. Mm.
0: so and i know um you know there's a lot of like hair um and nail skin supplements out there on the market that are formulated just for um replenishing those type
1: of nutrients is there something out there that you particularly like or yeah there there actually are a lot of options out there um my, I don't like doing biotin by itself um, because it's not the only micronutrient that might be related to hair loss. So um, there also was a recent uh, research study coming at, ca- that came out about biotin supplements and sometimes interfering with some lab work. So definitely when you do any lab work, let um, your physician know that you're on biotin because they just make a note to the lab. Um, the one that I've had really good success with, um, you may have heard of, it's called Nutrafol. Um, It addresses the hormonal components of hair loss, inflammation, um, stress, and the micronutrients. And so it has different ingredients um, that target all of those areas. Um, So that's why I like that one. I've had really good success with it. But you do have to take it for a couple months um, before you notice a change.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. That's that's a great tip. Now, let's move to essential oils um, and oils in general. I know I recently have had a lot of luck um, adding castor oil to my regimen. Yes. Um, And, you know, in that, I put some um, rosemary, which I know stimulates hair growth. um, And that's what's worked for me. But what are you seeing um, is working for your patients?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So rosemary, thyme, peppermint, um, lavender, um, and then diluting it down. So when you apply essential oils to the scalp, sometimes they're very potent and and very strong and they can cause some scalp irritation. So testing it out on your skin first, but diluting it with um, castor oil um, or also like argon oil, diluting it with that can be helpful or Jehovah oil. Mm-hmm. And so you know the peppermint um, component of it um, it's very invigorating. <laughs> it definitely will wake you up um, if you're if you're feeling a little sleepy um, what it does is it dilates a little bit of the blood flow um, and, and the blood vessels around the hair follicle um, so that some more of the nutrients can get there. Um, and that's actually some of the foundations of a lot of the other prescription things or um, over-the-counter things um, that you could put on your scalp. But peppermint's a great, great essential oil, as well as rosemary and thyme, like you said. So,
0: yeah, and and actually, I just got um, a comment on my pra- private PCOS Diva Facebook community, and anybody that's listening out there, you're welcome to join. This like really, it's a really wonderful group of supportive PCOS divas going through this journey together. But um, a woman had posted about having dandruff. And I think a lot of women with PCOS deal with scalp fungus issues uh, that Uh, are probably, you know, exacerbating the hair loss issues. But I know tea tree oil is is a great antifungal oil that you could probably add to that mixture.
1: Um, Oh, absolutely. I I love um, the doTERRA um, scalp shampoo and conditioner. It has tea tree oil in it, and it's just fantastic. So you definitely can even get, there's different, you know, products that'll be out there that'll have mixtures of of some mm-hmm. of these things, too, so you don't have to create your own, too. You can just buy it if you're stuck on time and don't want to create your own scalp oil, too.
0: And I love that you mentioned acupuncture. So, acupuncture has been shown to help women with PCOS in a variety of ways, trying to conceive. Um, it's certainly for me, it helps with, with stress and my supporting my adrenals, uh, but for Hair loss, tell us about how acupuncture is helpful for hair loss.
1: You know, it's the same concept where, um, you know, having acupuncture, the foundation of it is that we have different um, lines of energy that flow throughout our body. Um, and sometimes, um, you know, targeting one point in that line um, and releasing that point increases the flow of that energy so it can flow better. And so um, using needles in certain places on the face, the body, the scalp, um, it can kind of open up some of those energy channels, but also promote blood flow, and all of those things can stimulate hair growth as well. So I think the stress component is also helpful because a lot of times when you do acupuncture, they'll put in the needles, and then you actually rest for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to be moving or going anywhere with needles Mm -hmm. (laughs) around. And so you have nothing else to do, but just relax and enjoy the moment and allow everything to work. So um, I definitely work with some acupuncture um, specialists in town and coordinate with them. It's not the one and only treatment that um, my PCOS patients do. There's obviously a lot of layers to this, but it definitely, if that's something that aligns with um, your beliefs and something you'd be interested in you haven't done it, I would recommend trying it and just adding it to your regimen.
0: Yeah, and, and it helps on so many different levels for sure. Um, so I also wanted you to just talk about some of the, the topical um, over-the-counter um, and prescriptions that are common uh, in addressing this type of hormonal hair loss.
1: Hormonal hair loss. Yeah, one of the more natural things I like is using a low-level laser light. Um, Some of the brands are Capulus or HairMax, and it's basically a light energy device that you wear on your scalp. Um, It has little red LED lights in it. Um, The Capulus is a full um, top of your scalp. Um, The HairMax is kind of just a band. Um, And basically, you wear it for a few minutes um, a day, a couple of days out of the week, um, and it can you know, stimulate those follicles to get more of the micronutrients by dilating those blood vessels as well. So that's definitely an easy treatment to do. Um, Side effects, some people feel a little kind of burning um, with the red light, kind of interesting enough, depending on how thin the hair is. Um, And then there's, you know, research going on about like how many LED lights do you need in the cap, depending on what type of hair or how much um, scalp exposure you have and how thick your hair is. And so I don't think we have like the exact answer to that, but I think that's, you know, an interesting research that's coming out soon. Um, a lot of my patients have already tried Rogaine and don't like it because it, you know, sticks to the scalp. It kind of creates some, some flaking, some scaling. Um, other than that, I haven't had a lot of trouble with it. I know um, there can be some side effects topically other than that, um, but I haven't had much much trouble with that. Um, I
0: know that's something that I tried early in my journey. It didn't really work for me. I didn't see a lot of benefit, I guess, um, but that was just me.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I see that too, and I think, you know, I also probably get patients once they've already tried a few things and nothing worked, and like, okay, now I need help. <laughs> like, what, what else can I do? If, if you wanted to try Rogaine, um, I do recommend if you're going to try it to do the 5% and not the 2.5%. Um, you know, the understanding is, you know, when you have hair loss, you want to you if something's going to be effective, um, the actual, the 5% can be a little bit more helpful than the two and a half for females. Um, It was just indicated for men, but I think now they're opening it up for women as well. So, you know, if you were going to do it, I would, I would bump it up to the 5%. But like I said, you know, usually patients have tried that and it's like, no, what, what else, what else could I do? Um, I do like a product um, hair care system called Retras and it was developed by um, a dermatologist and it's a shampoo, conditioner, and hair serum. There's also a supplement um, that comes with it. It's not as comprehensive as Nutrafol, uh, but it, it does have um, some of the micronutrients in it. And what I like about the retrust system is it's sulfate-free, um, there's no minoxidil in it. Um, Their formula is proprietary, so, you know, I don't know all of the ingredients that are in it, but it's more of a biotin-based topical, and I've had some really good success um, with patients using that. Um, And I'm sure there's a lot of other product lines that are out there, too, um, that people like. There's also a procedure um, that maybe you have heard of um, called uh, platelet-rich plasma, or PRP. Tell us about that. (laughs) That is... um, you know, a procedure where someone draws your blood, they spin down the blood, and in the blood, um, you know, gravity, um, you know, when you spin something, gravity will kind of take things that weigh a little bit less and put it towards the bottom of the tube, and things that um, weigh, are lighter in your blood, will kind of spin to the top, and there's a layer of platelet-rich plasma, which is supposed to be very micronutrient-rich, Um And then what happens is you extract that out of the blood draw after it's been spun down, you dial it up in a syringe, and then you do inject it into the areas of the scalp where you're experiencing hair loss. Um, And then that combined with, you know, other treatments um, can be helpful. And it's not just one time of doing that injection. It's usually several times of coming in and doing that and doing them about, you know, six weeks apart.
0: So you had mentioned hair transplants. I mean, do they really work for women?
1: You know, if you're not having progressive hair loss, so if your hair is still shedding or still losing hair and you haven't, you know, stopped that process, um, you wouldn't be a good candidate for the hair transplant um, because you could lose the transplanted hair. And anyone who is doing the hair transplant, hopefully they're, they're going through that with you. Um, but I have had incredible success of people that have just – have gotten to the point where nothing's really worked and they're they're at the point where they don't want to take any other prescriptions or do anything else, um, and they do the hair transplant. And there's a couple different ways um, to do it. Um, The ideal way is where they take some of the hair from the back of your head where we typically do not lose a lot of hair. We have usually pretty thick hair at the back. And then taking those individual hair follicles and moving them to the front or the top of the scalp where you've lost hair.
0: So I I do want to um, draw some attention to um, something that was really a, a viable solution for me when I was uh, experiencing really extreme hair loss postpartum after my my third child. I ended up um, getting a a hair topper from this company called Folia, and they have beautiful wigs and hair toppers. And honestly, it was so natural, like it just kind of clipped into the hair that I already had, because most of us still have, you know, we don't have, um, you know, alopecia areta where we've lost all of our hair, we still have hair that like on the sides, it's just kind of thinning on top. Um, And it looked beautiful. Uh, And I wore that for for many, many months um, until my hair grew back. So,
1: you know, wearing hair is also a, a, a real option. Oh, most definitely, and I mean, definitely. If you're wanting to hold off on prescriptions and you know give your hair time, but you you kind of are wanting to do something to to make your hair look a little bit more natural um, and fill back in, um, there's been a lot of times where I've actually even written a prescription for that um, and trying to help people get that covered by insurance. Um, it does take some finessing with the insurance to do that but um, that is something that your dermatologist can help you with um, if you're looking into doing that not all insurance plans cover it and those you know there's different prices on you know the different pieces that you can buy but you know certainly if you can get some assistance with your insurance that's also another you know amazing option that you could have too yeah that's a great point
0: well all right so let's shift gears to Hair growth or hirsutism, and a lot of women with PCOS experience hair growth where they don't want it, whether it's facial or or body hair. And actually, I know that um, there's some guidelines now that any woman with that is exhibiting hirsutism should be screened for PCOS. And is that something that you kind of uh, recommend in your practice when you see somebody that? You know, doesn't have PCOS listed on their medical chart, but definitely has hirsutism.
1: Yes, and hirsutism is when you're growing hair in the male pattern areas. So you're growing like gin hair, you know, a little bit underneath the chin. Um, some women can even grow hair on their chest um, and in places where you know men would normally grow it, but females don't. Um, and then also kind of on the on the center of the chest, but also. Um, we do have normal dark hairs that can occur around the breast, around the nipple, um, but sometimes that can be a little bit more than usual. Um, so that's the definition of hirsutism. There's another type of excessive hair called hypertrichosis, which just means you just have excess hair. It's not related to hormonal changes or things like that. So um, a lot of times, when I'll be just doing a regular skin exam on a, a young woman, um, you know, looking at her moles, screening her for skin cancer. Um, I'll look at the chin area and I'll notice there might be a couple little stubble dark hairs there. um, And I might be the first person that asks her, gosh, how often do you have to get that lasered? How often are you working on that hair growth? And they may have no idea that that was related to PCOS or or anything. So if you are um, experiencing, you know, chin hair growth and a lot of thicker hairs on the face, um, certainly that could be one of your one and only signs um, visible um, that you might have PCOS, and so that is something as dermatologists we pick up on quite frequently.
0: I think that's another symptom that a lot of women sort of dismiss is that's, you know, my grandmother had it, or all the women in my family are, you know, have excess hair, um, when in fact, you know, the women in your
1: family might have PCOS. Um, but okay. the um the kind of more genetic, like everybody is having a lot of hair, I, I I've seen that too. And sometimes it's more on like the cheeks and the temple and sometimes you might have like a little bit more hair on your back or your arms. Um and that that tends to be just like a genetic variant and you know it's it's when it's kind of thicker, um harder more more stubbly type hair um, on the chin and chest is what you want to look for and I agree I mean most women just are embarrassed by it want to hide it don't want anybody to know about it and it's just something between there and maybe their them and their um person that's doing their hair removal laser treatments
0: hmm. so and, and I know that that is um is a symptom that uh... Doesn't really go away and can actually worsen as you get older with PCOS. I know there's some things that that do lessen. Uh, you know, women with PCOS as they get older tend to regain cycles. You know, cycles become more regular. Uh, but it's been shown in studies that that hirsutism is pretty persistent and can get worse as you get older.
1: Absolutely. So I also see patients where I notice it and they say, yeah, yeah, I know I have PCOS and my PCOS is under control, but this is still there And and they're very upset and frustrated by it. So it is one of the last, you know, symptoms or things that can persist long after you have your PCOS well controlled.
0: Yeah, and I think that's um, that's really frustrating because I think a lot of women who um, have changed their lifestyle and they feel better and their periods have come back and um, a lot of their PCO symptoms have subsided. Once that hair follicle has changed um, and bec- you know it's become sort of that coarse dark hair, it's not going to change back. Is that is that cur- that's my understanding?
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. And, you know, there is a a misconception that, like, by cutting or shaving your hair, um, it's going to come back thicker, and that is not true. Um, And so, you know, I do have some women that shave, some that do laser hair removal, some that do waxing um, and different options. Um, Our hair grows from something called a hair bulb kind of deeper into the skin. And so um, if you're able to get to a point where you can destroy that hair bulb, um, the hair is not going to come and, and grow back. Um, and so definitely we don't want that to happen on our scalp, but we probably do want that to happen on our facial hair. Um, and so, you know, doing treatment options that kind of help with that can be another option too.
0: So I just did want to mention that in my journey, uh, I was feeling a lot better with PCOS, but the the hair – was still such a troublesome issue, and I ended up um, going to get laser hair removal, and it was so expensive. I I know I had to sign up for a series of like eight treatments, um, and had to, and my sister um, loaned me the money to to do that, and it literally changed my life, uh, because I, I didn't feel like I had to hide anymore. I was had such shame around that the hair that was growing, and I was shaving every day and plucking, and it totally consumed my life. And once I had that laser hair um, removal, it literally changed my life. And just so listeners know that PCOS Diva and PCOS Challenge—it's the the nonprofit organization for for PCOS awareness—we teamed up and created a grant, Um, and PCOS Diva, my company, has endowed this um, multiple grants over the last five or six years so that women with PCOS who can't afford laser hair removal or treatment for acne or hair loss, you know, to get a wig um, or or a hairpiece, you th- we provide funds for that if you are in distress so you can learn more about that we'll put a link in the show notes for this podcast um, but for me that laser hair removal was so life-changing um, and i just was hoping that you could talk more about you know how that works and who it's effective for because it doesn't work for everyone unfortunately
1: Yes, absolutely, and oh my goodness, that is so amazing. I didn't know that about your organization, that you're able to do that for women, and um, I'm sure that um, means a lot to the women that are able to receive that, Um, and it definitely changes their life, not just on the outside, but just on the inside too. So gosh, thank you, thank you for doing that, um, for helping women on that level. Um, So the laser um, hair removal does require um, multiple treatments, The way that it works is that it actually targets the color in the hair, and so if you have darker hair and really light skin, it works amazing. Um, If you have dark hair and dark skin, you might notice that it might um, eliminate some of the color in your skin, so you might end up with some white spots, um, or you might end up with some dark spots on the skin. And then, unfortunately, if you have more blonde hair or light hair, um, it doesn't seem to work as well. Um, Most people that have um, darker hairs on the chin are are relatively good candidates for the laser hair removal, Um, but there also is electrolysis, which is another procedure. Um, There aren't as many practitioners um, in my area that do electrolysis, and what electrolysis is is using a probe that goes into the follicle and it targets that hair bulb that we talked about that um, is where the hair grows from, so it's much more permanent. Um, type of um, treatment. Um, the laser treatments that you would do, it's usually, you know, six weeks apart and it's four to six, maybe eight treatments. And then some women also need a touch up once a year or a couple of times a year. So the laser isn't as permanent as the electrolysis.
0: Yeah, one thing that I was just going to recommend uh, is that you, know, I went and had the professional laser treatment, um, but then for touch up, I used an at-home laser um, and I purchased this many years ago. I've written about it on PCOS Diva, but it was called the, it's called the TRIA at home laser. Um, and I used that for several years and now I'm at a point where I don't need to use anything. Um, but it's been a long, a long process uh, but I am light skinned with dark hair. So fortunately, it it did work for me. But for women who are blonde um, and have blonde hair, uh, what do you advise for them?
1: You know, there's always waxing. So you can definitely um, still do waxing. Um, Just remember before you do any waxing that if you're on any tretinoin or Retin-A or over-the-counter retinol that you do stop it a couple weeks before you um, do waxing because it can um, accelerate the wax peeling off one of the top layers of the skin. Um, Electrolysis would be an option if you're able to find a reputable um, practitioner in your area, Um, so that could work too. Um, And it's funny that you mentioned the Tria because that is the one that I bought years ago just like for armpit hair and, you know, bikinis for stuff I could do at home. Um, it's just sometimes they hurt those little home lasers. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they do. They're, it's not the
0: most comfortable um, thing in the world, but um, it works. <laughs> <laughs> the pain. Yeah. Um, so, what about uh, prescription and topical? I know uh, years and years ago, I tried Vanica. I think it was called um, like a topical. It wasn't that effective me, but have you seen any results in your practice?
1: You know, years ago, I probably prescribed it a lot more when it when it first came out, and, and what it does, it's a topical cream that's a prescription that you would get from your dermatologist, and you would apply it twice a day to the areas where you have excess hair growth. Once you stop using it, though, that hair comes back, um, and it is a cosmetic prescription, so most insurance companies don't cover it. Um, and the tube can run, you know, a hundred, $150 a tube. So for something that's not, um, more long lasting, um, I feel that money would be better spent doing laser treatments or something else. Um, so I've kind of, I haven't prescribed it as much anymore. Mm. And then what
0: about, um, prescriptions like, uh, I know a lot of women are on spironolactone. That was something that, that I went on early in my journey. Um, it's, I really don't know how much it really helped me, uh, and I just was did not want to be on a pharmaceutical long term, so I came off of it. But is that something that you're prescribing in your practice, and how does that work?
1: Yeah, it is something that I do prescribe, and it it just depends on um, where where someone's at. So if if we're having a lot of hair loss, and you know we definitely want to dive in a little bit deeper, but we want to start something um, spironolactone, um, is one of those prescriptions that can be started. Um, it's a pill that you take, um, and you, you know, I start out, I'm one of the practitioners that starts out low and then goes higher as, as we go. Um, and so I usually just start out with one 25 milligram pill a day. You kind of get the hang for some of the side effects, um, and then you can go up to one twice a day. And then I have you come back and, you know, see how things are going and then we can increase from there. Um, it's not something that, um, we know for sure how long you'll be on it, ideally not too long. I mean, I think the shortest time, though, is probably at least six months um, until you're getting other things in order. Um, if you do start actin, um and you think there's an underlying hormonal issue, I would recommend getting your blood work done first um, before you start it because it does impact sometimes your testosterone levels. So um, if there was an issue with your um, serum testosterone um, before, you'd want to know that. And then also you can track it as you're on spironolactone. The biggest side effect I run into with it um, is that it's used as a diuretic. So what that means is it um, gets off excess water. And so you urinate a lot. um, You can get dry eyes. You can get dizzy because you don't have a lot of um, fluids in your body. So your blood pressure gets a little bit low. You can get headaches, um, things like that. So Definitely, you know, I live in Arizona, so, you know, increasing your hydration can be very, very helpful. It is a type of diuretic that retains your potassium, so you do have to be mindful of potassium-rich foods, and one of the things that can make you retain more potassium is coconut water, Um, and then also being mindful of how many low-sodium things you're drinking, uh, the low-sodium soups and you know, products like that typically replace sodium with potassium, so you have to be mindful of that. And then a lot of the electrolyte drinks also um, can ramp up your potassium, so you have to be mindful of that. Some women have some menstrual um, irregularities where they spot a little bit, and obviously you don't want to get pregnant on it. Um, But it's a great option. Another option is saw palmetto, which is um, derived from a berry. Native Americans um, used it um, And uh, that's something else that has been researched with PCOS patients, and um, it's in the Nutrafol supplement, and so that's usually how I like to use it um, in combination with other things. But you could also um, take it on its own, and it's usually about 160 milligrams twice a day. Um, So that's, that's another kind of alternative natural option. And That you know helps balance out the testosterone component um, of the hair loss, maybe even you know some of the acne and things like that too.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I think that that is a very um, beneficial supplement for a lot of women that are dealing with these high androgen related um, symptoms.
1: You know, there was um, a really interesting study that came out not too long ago that combined low dose spironolactone with oral Minoxidil, which is Rogaine. So Rogaine or Minoxidil came in a pill form initially and it was a blood pressure medicine and then they noticed, you know, excessive hair growth um, in the patients that took it and that's where it, you know, became a topical option. But um, they have actually had significant um, hair regrowth um, and there is um, a few patients in my practice that have opted to do that um, and I have seen some dramatic results. And it's definitely not for everybody. There's a lot of, you know, off-label things and some side effects and things to go over. But for some reason, that combination of really low-dose oral minoxidil and low-dose frontalactone, um, sometimes for those genetic um, types of hair loss where, you know, it's not really much hormonal um, to be done anymore and it's at a, a stagnant point. Um, I've actually seen some hairy growth with that combination. So
0: mm, That's the first I've heard of that. That's, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, it's been fascinating. And, you know, it's, it definitely doesn't, you know, it's not without risks and, and things like that. I definitely like to do other things before that. But it's just kind of nice to know that there's, there's some other options and people are actually researching some unique combinations mm-hmm. um, to help.
0: Well, we covered so much. Um, this is a big topic, and I think uh, that you, know, I thank you for all of the great information that you shared with us. So if somebody is interested in working with you, um, can you tell us more about your practice? And I know you have a great website with lots of resources, too.
1: Yeah, I have a great website. It's um, drmichellejeffries.com. Um, I believe the spelling of that will be in the show notes, correct? Yes, yes. Okay. So that would be a great place. Um, there's lots of resources on there. Um, uh, my premise is, is kind of doing more of a mind-body-spirit approach to skin care um, and blending all those things together. So you'll see different articles and resources um, focus on those different aspects. Um, I do live in um, Phoenix, Arizona, And I do work in a private practice um, in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, We do take insurance, um, and we do do 15-minute consults. So if you wanted to um, contact the office, you could call us there.
0: Excellent. And, yes, we will put that info in the show notes. And, again, thank you, Dr. Jeffries. This was super helpful for, you know, any woman that's struggling with PCOS-related hair loss and, and hirsutism and, again, um, if, if you are struggling, check out the PCOS Confidence Grant, and we will have uh, links to that in the show notes as well. So thank you for your time, Dr. Jeffries. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to everyone listening, and I look forward to being with you again very soon. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up our podcast today. friend or family member so she can benefit from it too. And don't forget to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Just enter your email at PCUSDiva.com to get instant access and make sure you never miss a future podcast. This is Amy Medling wishing you good health. Bye-bye.